Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Book Reviews. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Now Playing Book Review. This is Stuart. And this is Jacob. And I'm here to say I've been broken by Breaking Dawn. Are we breaking bad? (laughs) It was pretty bad, I gotta say. Getting to the fourth Twilight book. Here we are. Let's start with the title. Breaking Dawn. To me, that implies the coming of a happy ending. A sunny day. That this will all wrap up nicely. But at the end of the process, something will be broken. Maybe a major character will die. That's what I'm thinking. Jacob, I'm looking at you. Not just you, Jacob, my (laughs) partner on this, but thinking about Jacob Black. Yeah, to me, this dawn, the sun is rising, even though that's supposed to be bad for vampires, but that's a good thing, I guess, for these ones. We're past Victoria, so we're going to have to have a new threat. It's got to be the Voltori. That's what I'm thinking. That is the thing that's been lingering. And once they get over that, they could go on and have their happy ending. The other thing I thought of, I mean, just extracting names and all that, Victoria, Victorian age, we're entering a new era where maybe vampires are visible. So much about this, the Volturi is all about hiding vampires from humanity. Maybe this is their coming out party. Maybe when dawn breaks, well, we'll definitely see that Bella is going to become a bloodsucker and she is not going to lose the family contacts that she feared she would. And you're always bringing up the titles and the book covers. I think this book cover is probably the most obvious. Not a whole lot of questions going on here. We have a chessboard. We're definitely going to have a chess game going on in this book. And yeah, we got a pawn and a queen. You know, you see Bella going from being human to a vampire, pawn to a queen, something with powerful, with powers. It's pretty clear where this is going. My one critique, that queen should be red. The vampires, I think of red, blood. (laughs) And it's the opposite on that cover. The pawn is red. (laughs) Yeah, let's dig into this a little further. Yes, this is the book in which Bella becomes a queen, but who is the pawn? Again, who can be sacrificed? That's the way that I'd look at this. Poor werewolf boy, right? Like, So you're really wanting Jacob to die in this. It's not a want. It's a prediction. I'm Alice. I'm trying to gaze into the sky and say this will happen. And it just seems like Jacob has been a pawn piece. Or maybe Edward. I mean, maybe it is that... He will be sacrificed in order to, I don't know, give her what she really wants, which is vampire life. I don't know. I'm not buying that. (laughs) But yes, in large, what we see here is a chess game, a game of strategy in which our main heroine looks to be the victor. And I got to say, this book... Huge seller, of course. I feel like all these, like, Harry Potter, all these books that get these midnight releases, it doesn't matter if they're good or bad, they're going to sell millions of copies. But I have to say, my wife, who was reading these as they were coming out, big fan of the books, this one did break her, and I'm sure we'll get into reasons why, but, like, she had a negative reaction to this one, even being a fan of those first three novels. And it wasn't just the length, because this one is by far the longest at 755 pages. You're talking about like a whole extra book. Yes. And it is kind of like three books in one. It's divided as such. We'll get different first-person narration in this one, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. But I, I sense that your wife's reaction is not an outlier, that this book, Stephanie Meyer did have to address its unpopularity, that everyone had been, you know, it's tough. Endings are difficult, right? You have all this expectation. You built this fan base for years. Now you're going to tell them how it all winds up. And many people, no matter what ending you give them, will be disappointed it's not the one that they were hoping for. 
there's some specifics, and I know I reacted to the movie when I first saw it before I read this book, and then, yeah, we'll talk about imprinting. Like, I can't wait, but that was the thing that shocked me when I saw the movie, and I really wanted to see how it was treated in this book. Hold that. I really know where you're going, and I was, woo, I was shocked. But they had teased it. I'm going to go ahead and say a lot of the things that do happen in this book were built into the three previous books. You could have seen much of this coming before. Yeah. Let's start with the thing that they were really building to, the way the book kicks off, the wedding. Bella is going to finally... Get hitched. Get over her issues with what being married at 18, 19 (laughs) means. And just say, yeah, if I'm going to make choices about forever, then I can put a ring on it. Yeah, that seems like where we've really been hitting at. You know, she wants to be a vampire. Edward doesn't want to do it until she's married. I do find it hilarious. I wondered if I was reading the right book as I got into this first chapter. Because Edward is so protective of Bella. Because she's a klutz and she's fragile and human. That... He buys her, like, an armored Mercedes that only the military (laughs) could get or something. And, like, all these guys are jealous of her car. And I'm like, is this a parody? Am I reading the right book at this point? Like, this is really bizarre. Yeah, that was a strange way to begin. I uh, Yes, I get that Edward wants to protect her, but that she has the Cobra car or whatever <laughs> now is just kind of hysterical. But they are hysterical. That All of this, people are out to get Bella. I don't know who that would be at this point. They took care of Victoria. They took care of James. They took care of Laurent. There really isn't a reason to think that anyone wants to get Bella, but she lives under a constant umbrella of persecution. And she's running out of room here. You know, like what she said is, I want to be a vampire. Empire, I'm wondering as the wedding gets going, is she going to have second thoughts? For one thing, she wanted Jacob to be there as the best man, to which I say, just put a silver bullet in him. Can you imagine? <laughs> Like the woman you most love and you have to stand there inches away while your lethal enemy is like getting with her. Like, no, he is not going to be your best man, Bella. Stop teasing. Stop playing on people's emotions. I feel like she's real naive when she wants Jacob there. And what's interesting to me, again, I really want to do a Freudian dissection of Stephanie Meyer at times when I'm reading this stuff. Oh, we should. There is one part, like, as Bella and Edward are leaving the wedding, they've been hitched. She looks back and she sees her mom and her baseball-playing stepdad has her arm around her mom, whatever his name is. He doesn't matter. And then the mom is also holding hands with Charlie, and she's like, there's just so many ways love can happen. And it's so weird, because I'm assuming Meyer is a fairly conservative Mormon. Like, she went to BYU. I went to BYU, but that's because I got to go for free if I went there. But she went to BYU. She, like, didn't want to have a career like these tell me she's a fairly conservative traditional mormon and yet like i don't think she's trying to make an argument for polygamy but like she is saying yeah there's there's different ways to have relationships i want to know who her jacob is who this guy she friend zone that she's still pining for it's she has these very i guess liberal views on like relationships which is bizarre coming from her It doesn't feel liberal to me. It feels to me like she's a cock tease. It feels to me that she ultimately, what she wants is not to commit, but to have everyone desire her. And and again, that game of like, I can never actually give you my virginity because then I won't be special, but I'll tease it to you. And so poor Jacob, yeah, my best man, uh, wisely, he seems like he was avoiding it. And then he crashes here at the end and really almost kills Edward. He almost loses control. 
And the other thing with this wedding, I get that they're introducing other vampire clans. I feel like a lot of characters introduced in this book, especially towards the end, I don't know who they are. The writing's not good. I, I'm having a hard time following, like, who matters, and they're dropping more lore about immortal children at this wedding. Like, it's hard for me to follow because the writing's not that good, and not, why should I care about all these new vampires entering now? Just because there's a wedding. They have teased, and by teased, I mean uh, drop sentences about time and hanging out with Tanya. Sentences in 800-page books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have known that there is this quote-unquote Denali clan for a while, but this is the book in which they suddenly now are pivotal to a plot point. They come into the wedding. It's a big deal because they don't like werewolves, and there are a few werewolves here. But we do see Tanya, her blonde sister, Kate. It's mentioned she has another sister named Irene, who was the girlfriend of Laurent. This feels like a retcon. But that that vampire that was friends with James that got killed in the second book, she's still mad at werewolves about that. She won't show up. But yeah, they blow in here and it's mentioned that Carlisle, the doctor father of Edward, he considers them an extended family. He's hung out with them for centuries. But we're just meeting them, which is weird. Like, that—that that is my yeah. problem. I just don't care about all these other vampires they're going to introduce because, again, the writing is not that great and it feels like characters are brought in when they're needed to progress the storyline. Well, what it says to me is that basically Bella's running out of uh, time with the vampire thing. You know, like the whole thing was once I get married to you, Edward, you're going to turn me into a vampire. The fact that she's now meeting the extended family, the Denali clan, and they're all eyeing her and, and saying, we have centuries to get to know you. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, like there's really no excuse anymore for her not to get bit, get turned undead. I mean... That's the only thing standing in the way. It's the Really, it's the only conflict of the first half of this novel. And what is your understanding? They bring up this idea of immortal children. Now, we had newborns in the last book, which are not newborns. They could be any age. A newborn is just... Newly bitten or newborns. Yes. Yeah, immortal children are different. Immortal children are if you look at the Gerber baby and go, I love those dimples. I love those twinkling eyes. Let's keep you this way forever and then have a vampire bite that child. What I understand is that this was something that the Denali clan tried to do. Maybe out of a maternal instinct need. They just said, we want to have two-year-old vampires around us. We like babies. That helps us feel like a family, like a fully integrated clan, as if we have children. Except children, I guess, are not as developed as even adolescents or adults. And if you turn them into a vampire, they become raging. You know, their version of a tantrum is like <laughs> a, a town wiped out. You know, like they're like a nuclear bomb of destruction. And so we just can't have immortal children in existence. It is a line drawn by the Volturi in Italy that if we find out you have immortal children, we'll come hunt them down and wipe them out because they could expose us to humans. These children are uncontrollable. And ever since the first book, we've had this idea of bearing children with Esme. Like she lost a child and threw herself off a cliff and Carlisle turned her into a vampire to save her. And Rosalie's backstory, she wanted a baby. Like so much talk about babies. I do feel like they're trying to set up this is what the conflict 
conflict is going to be because we got a honeymoon coming and you know what happens on a honeymoon and like will there be an immortal baby even though to be an immortal child you have to be bit there's no talk about procreation creating these this is the strange nuance that this entire novel hinges on is that vampires understand we cannot have children it's what makes us uniquely vampirish and rosalie for example is very bitter about that she wanted to have a child she envies bella being human because that is still an option for her and will never be for rosalie and so yes as they head off to the honeymoon all i'm thinking about is this is where she's going to get turned they go to an island off the coast of brazil an island they own. Like, this is their wedding gift. An island. I want to marry a vampire for an island. <laughs> yeah. Isle Esme. It's kind of like Club Med for vampires. Hot climate because your temperature is going to drop. When you become a vampire, you become a cold one. This probably helps with the adjustment. <laughs> but true to my point, this girl is like all of a sudden like, well, maybe I will wait a couple years to be a vampire. I want to go to college and I want to sexually experiment. You know, by that she means to have more sex with Edward because they have a night of carnal passion and it's funny when you and arnie during the movie reviews you're like oh i could see how they got 50 shades of gray out of this like this is the moment where i i got the 50 shades of gray because she's like yeah i want to have sex while i'm human because i'm vulnerable and i could be hurt and i want to do that freudian dissection because it gets real kinky like how much bella like she likes sex because it's dangerous with edward because he could hurt her and we're gonna see that like she gets covered in bruises bruises and battered her night with him ends up with her covered in bruises and she doesn't feel bad but he does he feels like he is a monster because he inflicted such violence upon her that does seem to be the crux of the 50 shades of gray relationship as well it's like i love you so much why do i hurt you and the girlfriend that's like i can take it because we're going to be sanctified together it's uncomfortable i'll i'll say that it should be said, though, it's it's pretty chaste the way this is all described. Like, Bella will just wake up covered in feathers because, I don't know. He bit a pillow. <laughs> yeah, they, they tear up the sheets and pillows and everything because that sex is so uh, hardcore, apparently. Yeah, you're right. Even though we're talking about S&M, we're not really having graphic descriptions of this. This feels, and has always felt to me, every novel feels like someone hand-holding you into erotica. Like, I know you're scared about all of these things. You're scared about the adult world and marriage and children, pregnancy, what's going to happen to your body. Let me walk you through this to tell you it's a erotic fantasy, like a, a fairy tale. And so it never really does feel like people are knocking boots. It just feels like a magical night in which he wakes up covered in bruises that don't hurt. If you're worried about your teenage daughter reading this and it being too salacious, I'd say no. Like, I just watched the new Beavis and Butthead do the universe, and that's way more sexual than this. So, I don't know. It, it's very chaste. I think you'd have to be real conservative to to find this offensive. They, she really goes out of her way to write it in a way that if you're not really up on sex, you probably don't get everything that's going on. And yet, uh, maybe that's what makes it even more dangerous is that naively, these ideas might be incorporated so that young, impressionable women suddenly think it's okay to date men that hurt them, that bruise them. So it is okay. Just get that consent. <laughs> we change that dynamic by having her suddenly grow a baby bump at an alarming rate. Bella is pregnant and she's got some kind of supernatural hybrid that has never been existed before or so it's thought that she is still human and there is a something inside her that is not growing at the normal nine month rate, but it's got vampire sperm and human egg. 
it's growing fast. She's the, the maid is worried. <laughs> we'll get all this stuff about the maid. Like she cleans up after the vampires, but she's also very afraid of them. Maybe that's a commentary on capitalism and the danger we put ourselves in to make a living. But yeah, she's she's craving those eggs. Bella is, and they got to get back to Carlisle because they don't know what to do about this baby. And this is where the structure changes. We're 150 pages in. So far, so good. Like, it's it's moving along at a brisk pace. I feel like, okay, things are happening. And then all of a sudden, they did this a little bit last novel, too, right at the end. Yeah, right at the end, we knew a little bit from Jacob's point of view. And to me, it just feels like Meyer wrote herself into a box. It wouldn't be interesting to talk about a woman that's essentially bedridden and feeling bad as her belly expands. So we have to change the perspective. And what better one? than the other guy, the best man, the one that wanted to be the one to put the baby in it and who could potentially harm a lot of people. We have a lot of digressions about him saying, I want to kill Edward. I want to kill the baby. I want to kill my clan because they're talking about killing Bella. It really slows down with a lot of unfocused rage. Yeah, and this is the portion of the book. Like, I I give myself a schedule that I got to stick on to get these all done in time for these book reviews. This one, I had to take a day off once I got to the Jacob portion. It is, it's not just the change in narration. It is, look, as we're recording this just a couple of days ago, Roe versus Wade was struck down, but I am thinking abortion this whole time. Like all this talk about these vampires, like they want to get this baby out. They're afraid of it. So it, it feels like to me, like the, the subtext is let's abort the baby to the point where Edward goes to Jacob and is like, look, talk her into letting us get rid of this baby and you can impregnate her. Like that is crazy to me. Like you could cuck me. You could impregnate my wife, give her a real baby. Just talk her to letting us kill this one. Mm-hmm. Or you could kill me if she dies in labor with this child. Like that's yeah. They have a strange pact that sort of makes them friends from this point on. I don't feel like you know Jacob versus Edwards thing is a factor for the rest of the novel. It's much more about who's going to hurt Bella and what's going to happen to this child. And I knew in many points of this novel, I knew early on. I went and became Alice and was like, I know that she's going to get pregnant. And I knew the more they were talking about Jacob and this baby, <laughs> I was like he. He's going to imprint on the baby. They already told you there was a werewolf last novel that fell in love with a two-year-old. And I'm like, and I thought, wow, you don't do that. That's just too much taboo connected with that. But now I could see it was foreshadowing. And when it happens at the end of this Jacob passage, all of a sudden he is beyond controlling his emotions. He must have this baby girl. It's real bizarre, and I, it, I'm so sad this was spoiled for you from when we get to that movie, because this was one of the shocking things to me when I saw the movie. Reading the book, it comes off a little bit different, because they'll like they'll tease it at the end of this Jacob section of the book, and then they'll pick it up again. But yeah, the fact that he's going to imprint on a baby, and this is like romantic love, like he's going to be with this baby forever to protect it. And he is like, what, 17, 18 at this point? This is where my it lost my wife when she was reading these originally. Again, I saw the movies before this. So I was looking for it this time, but I was biting my tongue with the last book when you're like, I think that this means Jacob's going to imprint on Bella. I'm like, mm, there's that two-year-old story for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. They had tricked me into thinking that he was already imprinted, that Bella was his one. But I don't know. In this one, he kept going on about he hasn't imprinted yet. And I was like, well, then what are they <laughs> waiting for? And then I went, click. Oh, my God. And, you know, they also play the game of like, well, we think the baby's a boy. Yes. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. 
matter. Boy, girl, or non-gender defining, he is going to fall for that baby. And sure enough, that is how they take him out of the love triangle equation. I'm trying to do this book a favor. Obviously, they're not implying that it's normal for adults to have carnal or even romantic relationships with infants. That would be sick and uh, immoral and, and not sustainable. What they're trying to get at, I think, is the idea of true love, destiny, that some people are meant for each other, that if Romeo and Juliet had met in the crib, they would know then and there that they were betrothed to each other. The problem is so much of this love story, as it's been focused through, Bella has had a sexual component to it. Like, she has always wanted a bone Edward. Like, we get this whole honeymoon scene. Like, so much of Bella's version of love is sexual or involves sex that, yeah, when you transfer it to this baby, I don't know, it's hard for me not to think of weird stuff going on. I think most people would at least think it. And then whether or not Meyer can coax you back into normalizing this relationship is up to you. I always find it weird and we immediately switch away from Jacob's position and never go back to it <laughs> because we don't want pages and pages of baby love and his weird twisted thoughts. Oh, I can't wait until she's 18. Yeah, I don't want to hear those <laughs> thoughts. No. Edward could read his thoughts. I don't want to read them. And what is the weirder thing? that This whole imprinting on a baby? Or the name they give the baby. I hate this name. <laughs> Renezme. Bella loves just combining names. So this is Renee, her birth mother. And then Esme, the vampire mother, combines them. Look, Bella's annoyed every time they call this baby Nessie. But that's how I wrote it down because I hate that name Renezme. Like, yes, I'm calling her by her nickname Nessie. I looked this up. Because I think I remember reading this in the news. That people use this name for their babies. <laughs> After 2008, Bella and Edward became very popular names for children. It was in the top 10 and has remained so. Even to this day, Bella is one of the most popular names you could give your girl in America. I looked up Renezme. Ain't nobody. Nobody has ever called their baby Renezme. It's not top 10, but people name their baby this because of this book. I know I saw stories about that. Uh-uh. Yeah, there's not many. I'm here to say, just statistically speaking, Renezme Swan Cullen doesn't roll off the tongue like Jane Eyre or Juliet Capulet or Scarlett O'Hara. Here's how I knew they weren't going to kill Bella. Because they could have. If you look at Weathering Heights, gonna spoil this novel for you, halfway through the novel, she gives birth to a child and dies. Dies in childbirth, and the rest of the story is about her destiny playing out with her child. And I was like, is Stephanie Meyer are going to do that. We see that Bella is very sick as she's giving birth to this unnaturally sized baby. Will they just kill her? And when I heard it was called Renezme, I was like, nope, they are not going to make the rest of the story about Renezme. They cannot do that. I could barely say the name. It doesn't roll. I mean, she was going to, if it was a boy, she's going to name it something like with some combination of Carlisle and Charlie too. Like Car Charles. Yeah. Carly. <laughs> Oof. Maybe they, we can hope for another child, but I don't think so because Bella is now a vampire. So that makes her infertile now. She gets bit in order to save her life because she's losing so much blood passing this child. It's Edward, right? That The baby bites her, but Edward is the one that infects her. I don't know if the baby bites her. The baby is taking all her sustenance. That's why Bella's got to go around drinking blood bags to feed this baby. Like, I don't mm -hmm. know what that does to your digestive system. They got to get this baby out and it's weakened Bella so much. She's on the verge of dying. So let's bite her to save her life. Finally. 
So we're about halfway through this 750-page novel, and, you know, there have been lulls, but by and large, I've been curious about getting to this moment and what it's going to mean. And then Stephanie Meyer just wipes away all the problems that were predicted. I want to just point out, why was it a bad idea for her to become a vampire? Well, one, Edward wouldn't like her anymore. She wouldn't have that human smell, and she would be undesirable. Except Edward still thinks she's great, and they go off hunting and elope together an elk and tear up forest animals. She does not seem to want to hang out with that baby. I know that like there's these mechanics of her being a new vampire and she's got to feed and everything but like so much time like it's Rosalie who's taking care of that baby. It feels like she's almost adopted it at this point. Well, that was another thing. Another thing. When you turn into a vampire, a newborn, we saw it last book, you're going to be out of control, raging, furious. You're going to kill your father. You may kill Edward. You may kill Renezme, but <laughs> you will just not be able to handle it. And Bella can. She loses her temper once when Jacob calls her baby Nessie because it sounds like the Loch Ness Monster. Better name than Renezme. <laughs> what is the nickname for Renezme? There is none. Renny? Renny? I don't... Yeah, come on. I also thought it was weird like Bella in that first book is like call me Bella do not call me Isabella like call me my nickname and now people are using that nickname and she's mad And then the other thing was that, well, you're going to have to say goodbye to your human life. Well, her high school friends have completely dropped out of this. They were at the wedding, I think, way in the back seats, <laughs> like the the nosebleeds. They were maybe there, but they have never mattered. She didn't ever have friends. And Charlie is told. Jacob, like, gets Charlie to find out all about this, and he's more or less cool with it. She doesn't have to pretend that she died and, and break the hearts of her parents. They're going to learn about her vampire status and accept it with no problems. There is no consequence for her becoming a vampire and that feels like an incredible cheat the weirdest thing to me was the last book told us how dangerous these newborns are these newly turned vampires and i never see that with bella like you could even have a scene where charlie shows up and she almost wants to attack him doesn't happen like everything is cool as you say, uh, another podcast that religious uh, leaning works of art tend to want to show idealized perfectionist situations that if you do the right things, nothing bad will happen. And that's to the detriment of the drama. We want to see conflict. And you've eliminated all conflict and said Bella is superwoman that can do anything. She even has like a cock block magic power. She can just like shield everyone from all things that are bad. Yeah, we were told again back Back in that first book, whatever human trait is your strongest, that gets kind of turned into a superpower when you're a vampire, mm -hmm. more or less. So I was wondering, what is Bella's superpower? I couldn't remember from seeing those movies, like, but she's got to have one because I know there's a big conflict at the end with the Volturi. So it's that she's just defensive. So like she can create shields. So like she wouldn't let anyone into her life. So that gives you shield powers. Yeah, the way that she still guarded her virginity, she can now guard anyone from any threat. And yeah, that just feels, yeah, so Bella. Just so Bella. <laughs> but uh, all right, so what's the conflict for the next 350 pages? Well, we're told the Volturi are not going to like this. Because they wiped out immortal children and she's had a child, they won't like it when they eventually find out through a long-winded digression in which Irina, the angry denial, Nolly family vampire finds out about the child and goes and tells them we have to wait forever it is the nature of these books to like wait until the last 70 pages <laughs> before people actually come together to have the fight that you feel like the whole book should be about 
what's weird is like Alice is going to disappear from like the last third of this book. And she always reminded me in these books, at least Alice always reminded me of Gandalf from The Hobbit, like where he would just pop up and save the dwarves and, and Bilbo whenever they needed. And then he'd disappear mm, and then come back. Yeah. Like, so that's what I'm expecting here with Alice because she has just disappeared now. We'll find out why by the end. But again, this is where all these clans are coming together from the Amazon, from Alaska. And there's so many names and so many characters and none of them mattered. They're- let's And let's be clear. This is all happening in the last 100 pages. We suddenly are learning 12 new characters. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, oh, we're building up for a giant war. So we got to know all their powers and get to know all that. A lot of strategy laid out. Like, I feel like I'm watching a chess game and that's not a good thing. I, those are boring. Speed chess. When it's time to play, 70 pages are left. <laughs> like, I don't know how much battle you can really do in all of that. How about none? <laughs> She took a hundred pages to just go to a document forger and talk yes! about like making documents for her child to escape if they should survive this battle. I'm like, woo, why are we spending time on that? That could all be cut. Oh, there's a whole mystery. Like Alice leaves these clues to find this document forger and that's mm-hmm. all it is. Like we're getting Jacob and Nessie a, a fake ID. Yeah, I, I can't believe so much time is, is considered for that. And then when it's time to get this battle, you're right. Alice pops back up like Gandalf at the end to wave her magic wand and say, don't worry, this is not something we need to worry about. Even though Renezme looks like a creature that could grow into a threat. It's happened before in Africa with this guy named Nahul. Yeah, and they're going to bring, again, I, I wish this character was set up, but it's just out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, there's also another immortal child that didn't eat everyone. So everything's good, right, Volturi? I mean, deus ex machina. This is exactly what they teach you not to write when you're writing creative fiction. Don't have a character no one's met pop in at the last (laughs) 20 pages to go poof, none of this matters. That is terrible writing. Always. Apparently, I've never read The Merchant of Venice, but that was a big inspiration for this novel. And I guess there's a whole chess game and they don't actually have a battle in that one. Like, so, yeah, there's a clue that Alice leaves. It's not on a page of The Merchant of Venice. I guess Stephanie Meyer said that was her way of hinting at where this was going to go. Mm, I'm going to call bullshit on that. There's a lot of anti-Semitism in that <laughs> play as well. But yes, there is something about a pound of flesh and uh, there is a debate. It's kind of like a court case, if you will, about the the right to life. But I wouldn't, I, hmm, Merchant of Venice, Shakespeare, her aspirations. If only Stephanie Meyer were half as entertaining. I mean, again, forget the fact that she's not a great prose writer. I've forgiven her all of that. Make a fun, trashy story then or make something shorter i can't believe he spent so much time just stalling but then again that is her all along it's bella it's the idea of like i'm gonna make you wait for it and then i'm never gonna give it up yeah maybe it's because i'm a dude with testosterone raging for me maybe it's because i'm american i've been raised on action films but why can't we get a fight at the end you introduce all these superpowers all these characters i want to (laughs) fight Or at the very least, if it's about strategy and wit, have Bella do it. Don't have her hanging out with a document forgerer and some guy named Hooli blow in and, and like, just wipe it all off. All Bella does, again, that cover is supposed to tell us she's the queen. All Bella does during this final, I can't say battle, but this final confrontation is she shields everyone because Jane and I believe it's Marcus or Felix or one of the many Volturi guard, like they could cause intense pain or intense feelings of loneliness. So they're afraid of them using their powers to torture them. So Bella like stands in the way back, just shielding everyone with her powers. 
Yeah. Well, she didn't shield the reader because this has been an <laughs> extremely painful and disappointing conclusion to a series I didn't have much invested in. Don't get me wrong. I'm not crushed that, you know, it didn't turn out in the fairy tale romance I wanted, but I honestly did think that this would be told in a much more dynamic, exciting, and multi-character way. Again, I think the biggest flaw of all of this is that they've always made it about Bella and what I walk away from. Honestly, we spent all of these podcasts debating about who should she be with people should be spared Bella I don't <laughs> want her to get with anyone until she grows up and matures and learns not to be a tease she doesn't need to have a man she needs to get schooled on being an adult that is the problem is that we're told that she's an old soul basically in that first book and that's why it's okay for this 100 plus year old vampire to hit on a 17 year old girl she does not feel like an old soul she she feels very immature like she has a lot to learn and we all do I'm not picking on a woman we all do at that age have a lot to learn we're all immature at 17 18 so that's not a diss against her it's just it's a diss against Stephanie Meyer like you need to write something where yeah the, the person learns and grows and, and is mature not just like I I could love everyone and everyone should be okay with that. I could hold hands with all the boys and everyone should be okay with that. This ends up lacking a lot of maturity. I was surprised at how little has really happened for all the pages that were written. But it is done. The saga is done. We have talked about everything that is ever going to happen to Bella and Edward in print. But confusingly, we aren't done talking about Twilight books. <laughs> because in 2020... Stephanie Meyer published a new one that looks at how Bella fell for Edward from the vampire's point of view. It is called Midnight Sun, and yeah, we'll learn all about, again, same story before. From my understanding, it is Twilight, but we are going to, it will be a new experience because we will be privy to the first person thoughts of the other person in the relationship. So yes, that will wrap up our Twilight Now Playing book reviews next week. But if you're eager for more Twilight, Arnie is joining us this Friday. If you donate $10 for Silver Level, uh, we will be reviewing the beginnings of Breaking Dawn, the movie. Our thoughts on the, all the popular movies, Twilight, New Moon, Eclipse, and eventually next week, Breaking Dawn Part 2, five podcasts, all available for your viewing pleasure now or very soon. So thank you for listening. Keep reading. Thank you for listening to Now Playing Podcast Book Reviews. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. In the archives at nowplayingpodcast.com, you can find more than 150 more book reviews including many of the works of Stephen King, the Ian Fleming Bond books, the Planet of the Apes novels, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, and many more. Enjoy movies? The Books and Nachos hosts have done more than 1,200 movie reviews, which you can also find at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. This episode of Now Playing Podcast Book Reviews is copyright 2022, Venganza Media Incorporated, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, redistributed, or modified without the express permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. <laughs>